Hi guys, this is Bill Farrell. Welcome to another episode of Rock Bottom to Recovery. This is episode 44. Our guest today is Derek Lawson. Derek comes from the fine southern state of Quincy, Mass, um, in the roaming farmlands of Quincy. And um, Derek's our guest, and he's going to tell us all about himself and how we got here. So uh, let's welcome uh, Derek. <laughs> there you are. Hi, Derek. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm well, sir. How are you? I'm good. See, I don't know if you guys caught that, but he just said, I'm well, sir. So um, I think that's kind of cool. So tell us, Derek, uh, where are you from? I am from about 45 minutes northwest of Charlottesville, Virginia. Okay. No, not exactly uh, New England. Yeah, and um, it's definitely not New England. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit because I would like to know how people are down in Charlottesville. Mm. Uh, as to the people that you meet in Boston. Mm. I think Boston is uh, is somewhere in the, um, we're considered kind of rude in a way. I think we're misunderstood. We're not rude, we're suspicious. I All don't right. know. If, I don't know. <laughs> we're very suspicious. We don't, if you come up and you greet us, we want to know why. Why are you greeting us? What do you want from us? So, uh, but we'll get into that. Um, but uh, so you're from uh, Charlottesville, yep. and you do li live in Quincy, right? I do. All right. So um, tell us a little about yourself. What what um, um, what'd you do in Charlottesville? Well, um, I'm 26. Okay, so right. you're young. I am. Uh, I don't feel young, but yeah. that seems to be the case. Yeah. Um, for work, uh, I was a logger and an excavator. Um, restored houses for a while. Okay. Um, Used to build hideaway gun cabinets. Okay. So it'd be like a, like a secret cabinet for the house. Oh, right? I got Somewhere you. isn't like open in plain sight, like tissue boxes and hold handguns. You really? Know what I mean? Yeah. Is that popular down there? Yeah. Oh, Why? Yeah. So people could. Yeah. Well. Hide and, handguns or. Well, for example, you know, if you were happen to be in the house or you fell asleep in your chair there and yeah. somebody were to break into your home, you don't need to go to a cabinet that's across the house. Yeah. To get to it, you know, and it's not open in plain sight for children to see or. Anything of the sort, you know what I mean? And like the, the, everything was functional. So like the tissue box would hold tissues and a Glock nine millimeter. You, you so know it would hold tissues and a Glock nine millimeter. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of cool. Uh, I, you know, there might be um, there might be a need for that up in this it's state. It's some pretty sweet stuff. You know? <laughs> so you used to build a uh, you used to build a cabinet that was actually like a James Bond setup. Yeah. It'd be like a full china dresser, and yep. you hit a, a button on a remote, and the lid would flip up, and then the rack would come up. On, and it would be loaded with money. Yeah. That is kind of cool. It's pretty cool stuff, man. Uh, yeah. That is cool. Um, and so um, so your family is still in yes. Charlottesville? all of my family lived down there. Okay. And so, obviously, we had to talk about recovery, talk about addiction and stuff. So, for you, um, what age did, did would you, what age would you say that you started getting into some type of an addiction? If I feel like... I had, so I got sober through a 12-step fellowship, okay. right, when I got up here. And that 12-step fellowship has its own definition of alcoholism mm -hmm. and drug addiction. And I feel like I had that condition before I ever picked up a drink and a drug. What, what condition would you... So my understanding of alcoholism is um, that I have a physical allergy to booze mm -hmm. and drugs, right? I have an abnormal reaction, which right. is pretty clear yep. in evidence, it, yeah. you know? Um, and that manifests itself in me as a state of powerlessness. It's where I cannot stop. 
once you, you start. Once it's on, babe, yeah. it's off to the races. You, okay. you know what I mean? I go places I don't want to go. I end up in places I don't want to be in. Everything goes a whole direction that I never planned nor wanted. Yeah. Do you, you, you remember know? it? Uh, in the later years. Yeah. Because yeah, I got into different things. Yeah. You, you know. So. So uh, is that something that's because um, obviously uh, I'm sure you've heard this before. But uh, addiction can be hereditary. Would you say that's in your family too? One hundred percent. Yeah. One hundred percent. You know. And so, what'd you end up starting with? Drinking. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so I grew up sixth generation moonshiner, right? So yep. alcohol was a pretty prevalent factor, right? Um, everyone else is what I understand to be a hard user. You, okay. you know, like they could drink as much as they want to, but it ain't. they didn't have that same problem. You know, they could drink today and they wouldn't think about drinking the next day. Yeah. You, you know, or the day after that or the day after that. Yeah. As to where me, that was not my experience. You, you know, I put booze and drugs in my body and I thought about it around the clock. Really? You, you, you know, yeah. my so, mind was dominated by the thought of the next one. So immediately, right off Right the, off the rip. Yeah. Right. And I didn't know that was abnormal. I thought everybody thought that way. Right. You, you know what I mean? Of course, like, who are you going to tell that either? You, you know, like, well, uh, I mean, a 11-year-old child ain't going to say that I've been thinking yeah. about drinking. Well, how old? How old do you mean? You I was mean? eleven when I had my first drink. Eleven. So, what about um, the people around you, your friends and stuff? So they obviously must have drank with you, or, or yeah, yeah. But like I said, you, you know what I mean. It really wasn't like to be drinking all the time isn't a big deal. It's moonshine culture. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like we drink. That's what right. we do. You, you know. So it's like it wasn't uncommon to be drinking every day, and that's pretty common in a lot of the South, actually. Yeah. You know, outside of moonshine culture. So moonshine, obviously you've drank moonshine? A lot. Yeah. <laughs> a so, lot of it. And they make it down in your area? Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, so it's readily available, readily acceptable. Yeah. Um, so this, it's, it's, it's just... like the drug game. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. drug game, like people are like quick to sell drugs to each other. Yeah. Moonshine is going to do they just, well, it's, I mean, it's, it's uh, well, I mean, you know. You got to know somebody, know somebody. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you ain't just out here like, going on the corner to. Yeah. Joe Bucko and getting a bag. You mean that's not how it works with liquor? You, you know what I mean? But so, how was your? Did you have easy access to uh, the moonshine? Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Would you go to anyone? So, in particular, to get your moonshine? Well, when I first started, like I said, like I had to. What I feel like I had the condition, right? Yeah. Where when I was sober, even as a child, I remember being irritable, restless, and discontent. Yeah. Nothing could ever make me happy. I felt this yearning to be somewhere that. I didn't know where to go. Yeah. Right? I feel like a dog that's looking for a spot on the living room floor. He's just circling. Yeah. He don't know where he wants to go, but he don't want to be there. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? And that's kind of how I feel in sobriety, without a solution in my life. Okay. You, you know what I mean? Um, so did alcohol obviously help you, uh, or at least you, so you thought it helped you? Uh, we treated it. Yeah. 100%. It treated that condition. Yeah. You, you, you know what I mean? And that was the thing. Like, So... I remember, like, as a kid, like, I would lie to other kids in school about stuff I didn't have. And, yeah. like, I was constantly trying to change other people's opinions of me. I hated to be alone. Yeah. Hated it. Absolutely despised every second of it, you know? Mm -hmm. I either had to be around people or on the phone with somebody or, like, constantly involved with other people. I've never been able to sit with myself my whole life. Right? Any idea why that is? I, I swear it's directly correlated to alcoholism. Yeah. That's my opinion. Okay. You, you, you know? And then your opinion is very important because it's your opinion. So. You, you know? Um, and my experience is my experience, right? Yeah. Like most real drug addicts that I've met, they're the same way. Yeah. You know, they cannot sit with themselves. What does booze and drugs do? They change the way I feel so I can sit with myself, right? Like that social scene for me didn't last long. Yeah. I enjoyed drinking and getting high by myself at a very early age. Yeah. You, you know, because it put that monster to rest. Okay. 
So you, you, you did you find yourself um, just you'd rather rather just drink alone? Yeah. And when you say get high, what would you what would you do when you get high? Well, when would you start with marijuana? Yeah. 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 I started. I got, when I had my first drink at 11, I didn't really get to drink much after that. I thought about it all the time, yeah. but I couldn't really get my hands on it, obviously, being an 11-year-old kid. Yeah. You know, and I feel like coming up on, like, 12 and 13, I started hanging around kids that was a lot older than me because yep. I felt more like them in that yeah. right. I always felt older, I guess, at yeah. heart, you know, and my granddaddy raised me a lot because yep. my parents worked opposite shifts growing up. Yeah. And so... I grew up on older culture and around older people, you know what I mean? So I felt like it was just a whole different atmosphere for me. And, and they, they obviously they accepted you, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Especially yeah. when we found out I could buy beer with no ID at 13. Really? And then I was a man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that opinion <laughs> that I've been searching for, I got it. <laughs> you know? So you drink and you're doing marijuana. Are you going to school yeah. at the same time? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. How'd you do in school? Were you? I was a, I was a straight A student up until sixth grade. And then uh, what changed? Obviously I had an booze. older sister that I found out about oh, okay. that I didn't grow up with. Oh, all right. I don't know what happened at that time up top. It's <laughs> yeah. something I've yet to revisit. I'm actually in the process of therapy and some other stuff. Okay. You, you know, trying to yeah. work back through some of those things. And whatever happened at that time really changed the game. Like, I think the alcoholism was already there in, yeah. in effect, you know, but like it really changed things up top for so me. So that, that particular moment really may, maybe sped up the process. It may you have. Were, you were going down the road anyway. Right. That you were going to get to. Eventually at yeah. some point, you, you know. And that just really kind of sealed the deal for you. That yeah. Because when I come out of eighth grade, I, I'll never forget it. When I started hanging around some older kids and of course, you know, they're like 17, 18 years old and they're doing yeah. what 17, 18 year old kids do, right? Like yeah. sneaking beers and smoking pot yeah. on the weekends, right? We and, all do. Um, so I remember I was like riding around and it wasn't the kid's fault. You, you know what I mean? He was a great friend of mine, still is today. Yeah. And um, he said, you know, have you ever smoked pot before? I said, yeah, yeah, man, of course, no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then I'd already been drinking anyway. Mm -hmm. And it, so then I get that crossfade going, you know, multiple substance yep. relief, you know, and I realized that multiple substances create greater effects, right? Because yeah. like for me, once I found the effect from alcohol from the very first time, because my first drink in my whole life was a glass of 160 proof liquor. Wow. Right. And after that, like, it was all seeking effect. That's mm -hmm. all I wanted. I didn't yeah. care about any other part of it. I might I use some of that stuff later on to try yeah. to help, like, you know, BS everybody. Yeah. You, you know, but it was all about the effect from the rip. So once I found out that I could get a greater effect from multiple substances, that's when I really started, like, cooking it up. You, you know, and probably six weeks after smoking pot, I'm smoking pot through a vaporizer, which increases the effectiveness by like 70%, like you get very much more. So, you, uh, so vaping, um, it, 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 it uh, gets into your system quicker than if you were smoking? Yeah, well, and it gets more THC out of the marijuana. Yeah. Right, as yeah. to where your average ways of using it don't. Right? right. So like in six weeks, like I'm going from like first time fit, first time sensation to I want maximum effect. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and the same, the same time after that, I found Oxycontin for the first time. Right, so I went from like drinking, drinking, smoking pot. Now How drinking, old were you pot. when you got the oxys? Thirteen. Thirteen. Yep. And um, um, how'd you get them? I was that? so I had just conned my cousin into buying his vaporizer. As you yeah. said, like it was all like in the six weeks time frame. You know yeah. what I mean? And when I got this vaporizer, I went around. I was hanging around this other kid at the time. I told him like you know I knew he had a bunch of pot. I had the vaporizer, and um, so I get him to meet me and my mom my mom doesn't realize i have it and yeah. so we go over to his house and then 
for smoking pot and drinking beers and the whole deal, you know. And of course, these little white pills start coming out. And yeah. He, you know, he said, "Do you want any?" And I said, "Well, what is it?" He said, "It's oxycotton." I said, "Well, what does it do?" He said, "It's going to make what you feel right now a whole lot better." Wow. You know, and yeah. he was right because <laughs> it did. Yeah. You, you know, but when I woke up from that nod, it was on. Yeah. You, you know, like you were definitely hooked. It was 100 yeah. percent out, like for the races. You, you know yeah. what I mean? Because my whole life, I've always been that way. Like, start here, accelerate maximum right. level, as full speed fast ahead, as possible. No stop. Yep. Yeah. So now, how? All right. So you took that first pill. Yeah. Now you're hooked, and what are you doing now to feed the addiction? So over the course, like the next couple of years, or like. It becomes very blatantly obvious, right? Yeah. And we're talking about my sobriety in my house. Yeah. Right? Like, this is moonshine culture. If they yeah. talk to you about a drinking problem, it ain't good. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? like, so they're, they're, they're like, this is bad. They're like, addressing it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Like, and, uh, I was using the mouthwash trick. I was hiding bottles of wine underneath, like, bottles of homemade wine under my bed to drink myself to sleep at night at 15. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? And um, What happened with school? Oh, I was still holding up. Really? You, you know, yeah. That's, like, that's always amazing. I wasn't I, like A's, that. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I was doing enough to pass, yeah. you know what I mean? And a lot of that was even still, like, I, I could have done better with the drug habit, but I was too entitled and arrogant, yeah. you know? I'm not doing your homework, because for whatever reason, I'm better than everybody else in this yeah. room, yeah. right? Like, my experience with alcoholism is strongly associated with the ego, Yeah. right? So would you, uh, when you get up in the morning, so would you, in school, were you um, drunk and high most yeah, of the time? Yeah, 100%. All day long? Yeah, there were, like, a few breaks here and there where, yeah. like, I was forced, where, like, I just couldn't get it, you, yeah. you know, and I was miserable that entire time, yeah. right? And um, I remember, like, my, my parents always thought it was my friends, like, the kids I was hanging around. And yeah. in reality, like, I was the worst one of the bunch of the kids I was hanging around, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I was always taking it farther than everybody else did. You I'm only laughing mean? because just because, like... Um, this just kind of how parents are, aren't they? Right. It's never their children. Mm -hmm. That's what my mother used to always say. Not my babies. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, my, we we were. <laughs> yeah. All they so everything they told you was true. Right. What? I don't want to hear it. So. Right. So now they at least so they they recognize it. Your parents recognize yeah. it. They're trying to address it, but it's useless. Uh, yeah, I'm just yeah. absolutely defiant and yep. miserable. You, you know. Um, I remember they threatened to send me to a military academy. It's local to the area down there, yeah. Fishburn Military Academy. Send it. Give me the papers right now. I'm gone. Out. But they didn't See you later. You. No, they, I called yeah. the bluff. It, you know what I mean? Called because bluff, in reality, yeah. like, they didn't want to send me. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? It's they were like, just, yeah, like we you don't said, want they you were to be an idiot. You, you, you know? How'd that, um, how'd that affect your relationship with your parents? Pretty rough, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there, there's, there's a lot of stuff that went on. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. Growing up, and it's like I ain't trying to blast nobody about nothing. No, no, you, you but, know? but it was difficult at the time. Yeah. We had a lot going on. You know, we were really, really poor when I was yeah. a child, and um, we struggled a lot. I mean, we didn't go without nothing. You know, my parents right. always did the best they could. Right. You know, it was just a lot going on. Yeah. And it was life. It was life. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was my experience with life, and like I realized <laughs> not everybody else's household were like mine. You, you know. Um, and school was really tough when I was a kid. I got bullied a lot. Yeah. Like through elementary school and like coming up on middle school. And of course, then I hit like 6'1 and like 230. And You're the cool. bullying really no, didn't go on as much. Yeah. You, you know, and um, I don't know. Like I, I look back on it a lot and it's like I really don't care for my childhood. You, you know, when yeah. I think about it. You, you know what I mean? Um, I could, yeah. There's a lot of things like I'm at peace with it in a sense. You know what I mean? But it's just like it is what it is. Yeah. It's, I have a real ter terrible time with undermining things. I don't give them the value that they yeah. deserve. You, you yeah. know, because it makes Not it easier yet. to deal with. Not, Not yet. yet. Still working through it. Yeah, you know what still mean? working through it. It's, uh, a pro it's a lifelong journey. Yes, it is. 
And, um, you know, maybe one day you'll look back and you'll see, like, you'll be in a spot where you're like, you'll maybe recognize that as tough as the childhood was, mm. and you probably wouldn't wish it on anybody, maybe right. get you to a place where you're content. And, right. you know, this is, I went through this to get here. Right. And so, um, um, you know, but you, 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 you keep moving forward and you keep um, growing and learning. And uh, so you, you graduated high school? Yeah. And then what did you do when you get out of high school? So where, when, where are you now? So you, you got the alcohol, the marijuana, the oxys. Yep. I'm right? getting into opiates and benzos. Like I said, there's like uh, a few breaks here and there, yeah. right? Like where like I couldn't hang around certain people, so I couldn't get my hands on it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like maybe in those couple of years, maybe three to six months of sobriety. I mean, that's a tough shot yeah. to think of. You, you know what I mean? Um, so while like having a sports career, Along the whole way. Yeah, what did you do you for know? sports? Uh, I was a defensive tackle. Okay. Yep. And and, and pretty good? Yeah. Okay. Fairly, fairly well. I was getting looked at by multiple colleges when I was sophomore year. Yeah. Um, was doing well in that aspect, even with the drug habit. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? It was strange, too, because, like, I never used drugs, like, before a game. Like, I never used them to alter me, like, for the sport. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was, like, immediately after and then, like, the build-up, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? The um, reward kind of. <laughs> exactly. After, yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm aware. And we used to have massive parties at yeah. my parents' house when I was, yeah, when I was a teenager. And were you, uh, because like you were saying that, it's, so it's like the moonshine culture and everything. Right. So is that um, would that be common? Like the parents didn't really mind everybody kind of partying. As long the as house? we were here, right? As long like as you were they here, were yeah. they were those parents, yeah, yeah. you know, and uh, no drugs. Whatsoever. In other words, safer but, to be here drink. than out there, exactly. kind of mentality. I gotcha. All no right. drugs whatsoever. But if you guys want to drink, leave your keys. You stay here. You, and you know uh, I mean? were there drugs? Huh? Were there... Actually, I don't think there were. No? To be honest so with people you. were fairly respectful. Uh, with yeah, that. but I mean, you think about it, between like four of us, we drank a gallon and a half of yeah. 160 proof liquor and then six or eight cases of Man, beer. That's... You know what I mean? Like, it was, br- crazy. I mean, we drank, but, you know, like, and I didn't, <clears> like, for whatever reason, my mind could not fathom the thought that, like, this isn't normal. Yeah. You know, that like other 16 year olds aren't out here doing this all the time. You, you know what I mean? And Well, you know, it's funny. I was so I was in construction and worked in Boston mm. for a long time. And I remember a friend of mine that I was working with um, talking about um, at eight years old. He, he mm. grew up in the projects of Southie. They'd be out there playing with their little matchbox cars, drinking low and brow beer. Wow. And I remember he goes, and that was normal. Right. That was his normal. You know, and uh, so like you said, I mean, it was, this was. You don't think nothing of it. You think nothing you of it. I mean? This is just, this is normal. So. Um, and I feel like being a moonshiner in, I feel like being a moonshine culture, it's really pushed of like, you can drink, just don't do the drugs. Yeah. Right. The drugs are the problem here. Right. So like, I would try to do that for the individuals around me. Yeah. Right. But like. From the time that I learned that multiple substances create greater effects, I have not wanted to settle less than that. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so. But but um, um, I think it's it's much harder though now for your generation because what's available to you guys is so mm. addictive. Mm-hmm. Like I was just having this conversation where when I was growing up, you would I mean you there was right. still like heroin, but like I just remember you wouldn't. Like you would see the heroin user and you'd be like, oh man, I'm never going there. And mm. you just kind of progress with your marijuana, your alcohol, and the you know, majority right. of people would become an alcoholic. Cocaine was obviously pretty big too, but but uh, that oxy was a game changer for uh, 
this generation. It was just, well, in the 90s when I think it came out, it just, mm. it was a game changer. Like it literally um, brought addiction immediately overnight. Like you said, as mm. soon as you took it, boom, it was, it was, it was on. on. And I think, I mean, we we know that now because there's been every year, I mean, thousands of people dying from addiction and stuff. So I think it's, for you guys, it's just, it was a tough hit. Just a tough hit, which came along, and now you realize, you know, pharmaceutical companies knew what they were doing, right. and they pushed it. it just makes it even more um, infuriating. But uh, so you graduate. Um, did you you doing benzos and everything? Yep. Um, where's it go from there? So as I come out of high school, you know, um, I had a real. There's a real rebellious piece to Appalachian culture, yeah. right? Due to the way the federal government come in and created the park and the coal mining companies. And, yeah. um, Appalachia's been kind of screwed by yep. numerous big affiliations. Um, corporate America. Corporate America, yeah. yep, and Uncle Sam. Uncle so Sam, yeah. the locals there are very, um, they're not too keen on outside information or outside opinion, Yeah. you know? Um, so anything that stands against what they believe or in a sense, they just don't want to hear it, right? Yeah. And and we're kind of raised that way. Like, it's normal to be a young, wild kid, Yeah, you, you know? And as I got older, I had this strange, well, I wouldn't say strange, but I had this weird resentment, in a sense, of someone who was, like, college-educated and wealthy, yeah. right? Of, like, you bought into the system. Mm -hmm. you, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so instead of going to college, I went to trade school as I was coming out of high school yep. and to work on diesel pickups. And when I was so intoxicated all the time by that age that I couldn't get my driver's license because I was too wrecked every time wow. I went up there, you know. Um, I didn't get my driver's license until I was after 18. Wow. Yep. Because, but you said trade school, you were working on automobiles? Yeah, diesel technology. Okay. Yep. Um, I went and got those certs because I plan on being a diesel mechanic when I come out. Um, so I'll, I'm also very severely mentally ill, right? I'm bipolar yeah. type one, yep. and I had never been medicated outside of booze and drugs. So let's let's talk about that for a minute. Yep. So what happens to your uh, bipolar type one? So yep. tell us a little bit about um, w what does that do to you? So my experience was um, that I, ha I, I experienced very severe episodes of mania. Okay. Right. So it would also very severe depressive states, right? So someone who's type two most of the yeah. time, now there's kind of a variant to both yep. types, right? But um, the average type two is kind of very small up and downs, yeah. right? As to where someone like me, type one, is straight up. Yep, and then yeah. right to the bottom. There's no base, there's no middle ground. I'm so what's up, straight up look down. like for you? At, at what what peak, do you end up doing? I have like a Ric Flair type of energy. Okay. But woo! Yeah. Like I don't hardly need any sleep. I can go without eating. How I, long? Oh, I can, I'll be lucky if I sleep three hours a night for yeah. weeks. You, you know what I mean? Like, and without phasing me, you, yeah. you know? I'm very, very productive, right? I get a lot done because yep. I have the energy to do it. Right. You know, um, my reality is very distorted, uh -huh. right? It's very reality-based. It's just distorted. My perception isn't true, yeah. right? The way that I see it. I can't see it any other way. Mm -hmm. You cannot tell me any different. I just Once you get it. a hold of something, yeah. that's how it is. I engage in risky behavior. I'm very impulsive. I spend <clears throat> money I don't have. I'm hypersexual. Like it's, yeah. it's very unmanageable, right? Yeah. Like a lot of people like the mania because you feel great, right? Yeah. But it makes things. But it comes with a cost. But it comes with a cost, baby. Yeah. You, you know, and I might be in that state for over a week at wow. a time, 
You know, so now I'm assuming because you've been in that state for so long, here comes the crash. Yeah. And when it comes, I mean, it's you go. It's suicidal. It's suicidal. It, yeah. yeah. Like I want to die. Yeah. Not I want life to, as I know it, to end right now. Right. Because that, I think that's a big difference. Yeah. Right. Of like life as I know it right now, I want to stop. And then I actually want to die. Is very different. So can you, is there any way to articulate that to, um, to let like people that are watching, like what, what's it feel like? Cause I, you know, a lot of times. I've literally not had, the, had the energy to stand up. Yeah. Can't even like, get out like of I, bed. I, I like literally like sit down in my car yeah. and cannot get up yep. for the life of me. If my life depended on it, I'd die in the car seat. Yeah. You, you know, like. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, I, I know exactly what you're talking about because um, I'm familiar with it, not my own personal experiences, but I have uh, read up on it and everything. But mm. sometimes it's hard, like in, in myself included, and I do understand it and I do get it, but some, even more so people like, how do you not get up? How do you not like get out of bed? Like, right. you know, and, and I, I'm sure you've had people go, Jude, just get out of bed, come on, but you can't. That's right. There's you're some in, days it's an accomplishment if I get in the shower. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? But I mean, I'm medicated now, so it, it's all but right. But how long would that last for when you were? The depressive state? Yeah. I've had it last almost three months. And you literally feel like I want to die. Yeah. Like I contemplate suicide daily. Yeah. How'd you make it this far without doing that? Do you want me to be honest? Yeah. Drugs. Drugs. Booze and drugs kept yeah. me from And that's from what I was kind of thinking. Yeah. I, I firmly believe that booze <laughs> and drugs saved my life for a long time. Because it would, uh, I'm sure it somehow, way, shape, or form, it would... Maybe take it off that it. edge, yeah. Yeah, you know. Which is why we have what they call co-occurring dual diagnosis. Right now, as we begin to understand more about addiction, right. And so that's what's kind of carried you. And um, wow, so that's like what's what's the craziest thing you've ever done in in uh, in your manic state? Don't tell I've... us. Don't tell us murder, because you know. <laughs> no, I mean I've quit jobs. I've ended relationships. Yeah. I, like I make major life decisions. Yeah. Right. Because like I firmly believe that I can do whatever I'm going to do. Right. Like what, there's always a point in a relationship where I'm unmedicated that a state of mania come through and I feel like I need the room. And like yeah. I will literally if I had the money, I'd quit my job. Yeah. Pack a bag. See you later. No plan. No nothing. Just yeah. running in the wind. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which sounds incredible. Right. But. Then I come down from that state of mania, yeah. and now I've made a lot of decisions that I didn't want to make. Especially if it was a really good relationship. Yeah, 100%. You know? I screwed up really... numerous relationships yeah. because of it, you know, and I didn't want to hear nobody. I didn't want to listen because I had that hard conception of not being, not wanting to be medicated yeah. in sobriety, you, you know. Do you find that, um, is there any type of, like, a certain point in a relationship that you get to, or, or is it just your, your, um, your, um, um, your manic state will just kick in at any given time? Or, or is there a certain point in your relationship? Like, mm. I guess I'm kind of wondering, like, you know, if you, you know, most relationships after a while, right. you begin to get close. And sometimes we self-sabotage ourselves. Right. Because we don't want to get too close because we might get hurt. Well, I feel like, right, that I'm, I'm definitely, like, emos emotionally unavailable. Yeah. Right? Like, for sure, like, yeah. put that barrier, right? But my experience as far as being BP that... When I haven't dealt with it much untreated until I got sober, right? Yep. Because the booze and drugs were always managing it, right. you know? So I couldn't really tell you in that time what the BP affected, right? right? But, like, I got, my symptoms got extremely bad mm -hmm. over the course of the last two years, right? I've recently decided to go get medicated and treated with a therapist. Like, those are all recent decisions, you know? Right. Um, 
and I'm really grateful I did, Yeah, you know, but over the course that I noticed with relationships, like in the mania, right, that it, it's, to me, it's horrible in that, right, because I can't ever be, I can't pin down what I actually feel, Yeah, right? Everything that I feel changes all the time. So something that separates type one from type two is the rapid cycling. Mm-hmm. Up, down, up, down, up, yeah. down, up, down, right? It's not just like being up and then coming down and then going down, and, yeah. right? Like I change all the time. So it's like everything I experience, everything I feel changes with that, right? Yep. Like I may be madly in love with you yesterday and wake up tomorrow and want nothing to do with it. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's vicious for the person that I'm with. You, you know, like how do they stay in that? Yeah. You, you know what I mean? And, Especially if they don't understand what you're going through. Right. And I know, like how just, hard that is for me to explain to yeah. somebody. You it's know probably, I mean? it's got to be hard just in, um, going through it and you do understand. Right. You know, what the person is going right. through. I watched a woman that loved me like suffer watching me suffer. Yeah. You, that's you know tough. what I mean? That's um, tough. And that must, that must obviously fuel the addiction. Right. I, I would believe it would definitely play alongside yeah. it, right? Like, I believe my alcoholism, my drug addiction, and my mental illness are two separate rights in that order. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, this one definitely plays a role over here, but yeah. this one is still by itself, right? Like, it's not like I used because of the BP. Yeah, right? yeah, like, no, I know what you're saying. Um, would you say that in your, in your high state, like, somebody who is experiencing that might run out and get some tattoos? Hundred um, percent. I'm very observant. <laughs> so show up your arms. To be honest with you, maybe the ones on my head. But. Turn, turn, turn the other head so people can see the uh, the, the, the rose. Yeah, yeah. There's a rose on this side. No, uh, look towards me, Derek, a little bit right there. Uh, there's a rose on that side. That's a yellow rose. Yep. And then on the other side is a is a red rose. So. Uh, I actually wasn't manic when I got those. No, so that's uh-uh. funny. Well, you know, you know what? Um, uh, tattoos can be addictive, too. They can, and yeah. I firmly uh, love them. So, yeah, so obviously, um, that's good. So, um, so <clears throat> at what point um, did you realize that you could no longer continue mm, with your addiction? Was so there any particular moment when that... I came out of high school, right? I feel like my family and a lot of my friends were the same way. They thought I was just a wild child that was going to grow yeah. out of it, right? And about 17... Right, I moved out, and um, me and my mother's always had a very strained relationship. Yeah. And, um, I moved out with the girl that I was seeing, and I had what uh, is known, what we call in the fellowship that I got sober through, the profound personality change. Right, I went from good time Charlie to real mean Okay. when I use. Right, I don't know why. I can't yeah. tell you what happened to this day. But I woke up one morning, I've been a mean, angry resentful drunk ever since okay. i think all the irritability that restlessness that discontent all the stuff that causes that like it rose to the top the booze yeah. and drugs wasn't working anymore you know and over the course like those next few years was when people were really getting on my back about it yeah right and that's when i started to try to manage it for them right i didn't want to manage it right. but if they would shut up then i could enjoy what i had in peace right yeah. like that's how my mind was viewing it <laughs> yeah and uh, so I tried, you know, like, I'm not going to do hard drugs, I'll just smoke pot. I'm not going to drink hard liquor, I'll just smoke, I'll just drink wine, yeah. right? So, like, I tried that for a while. Didn't work out, yeah. right? Like, One thing leads back to another. I always end up back doing yeah. the hard stuff, and I lose control, right? Yeah. I lose control of how much I consume, right? And then when I was, as the years went on, like, I would get more miserable, mm-hmm. right? Like, sober or drunk and high, doesn't matter, right. right? Like, I just feel awful all the time, you know? I was 20 years old. I actually lost a bunch of weight healthily. I was yeah. out with the drugs, right? And everybody thought I was on hard drugs, yeah. and I wasn't, you know. And um, I got married. We had a house with no mortgage. Mm-hmm. 
on seven acres with three cars, successful careers. You know, I think I might have been like selling pot or something a little yeah. bit on the side, but it wasn't like the main like right. Feed, it wasn't your you main know? income, mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. No, and I'd been like selling. I'd been doing some stuff that I shouldn't have been doing, you know, yeah. prior. But um, being the moonshine thing, right? Like it was always acceptable to do wrong things for the good reasons. Yeah. Right? And um, so I've got all these things, and I hated to wake up. Yeah. Hated it. Absolutely hated to be alive. Yeah. I couldn't understand why. That so I've you, got everything a man could ask for. Yeah, so you have everything that, in reality, we we deem successful. Right. Like, you have your house, your marriage, right. um, a I'm not even legal to drink yet. Yeah, you, and you're you know only I mean? 20. Yeah, but you're still miserable. Absolutely. Yeah. Vi right. Unbelievably, you know. And <clears throat> So, about four months, I'd been, I went into DTs from alcohol and opiates for the first time at 18. Right, and I yeah. got sober for like a week after that, but it was not like intentional. Like, yeah. all right, like this was horrible. I'm not gonna drink again. A week later, I'm back to drinking. Yeah. It, you know, like there's just like that subtle insanity that precedes the first one every single time. Right, yeah. it doesn't matter. Like consequence, pain is irrelevant to me when it yeah. comes to drinking and getting high because if I'm not treated, if I don't have the solution that works for me, then my mind will give me a reason that says one's okay. Yeah. Right. And then the vicious Justified cycle Justified every starts. single time, right? Yeah. It's yeah. unbelievable, you know? And it's like the only, my experience was that God was the only thing that could remove that, you know? Right. And so I got the house and the whole deal, right? And um, I had a family member that did 11 years for manufacturing and distribution of methamphetamine and um, mm -hmm. child endangerment, a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. You know, and where I'm from, it's just as equal with meth, meth as it is here with opiates, yep. right? It's not any different in that right. So... That was like, I'll never cross that line, right? Yeah. Like, that's that's the line where I draw, right? Yeah. I have a problem when I get there, yeah. you know? And like a month or so after I got married, I got high on crystal meth for the first time, and it absolutely changed my life. Wow. 100%. What did that What did that feel like when you, the first time you did it? Is it, is it in, even, can you even describe it? <clears throat> yeah, it's just, well said. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you, you um, know? So now um, it's on. Now it's on, baby. Yeah. It's worse than it's I ever been. I mean, it been. was already on. Yeah. But now you worse just than it's ever went been. to another level 100%. of addiction. Yeah, no. So now what did that do to you? What, what were you doing once that? So probably six months after that, I was on the way to detox for the first time. Yeah. Right? Like, I had never wanted to stop getting high and drinking yeah. at all before. Like, no desire whatsoever, right? Six months of crystal meth brought me to my knees. Wow. Right? Like... I was like 165 pounds. I'm like 230 now, 235. Yeah. Um, when, and that was probably, it was like the hope that I had lost because it, I had felt hopeless in everything at that time, yeah. right? Like booze, drugs, nothing was working anymore, mm -hmm. right? So it's like meth like r restored my hope in yeah. a sense. Like, yes, another way, yeah. you know, I can find relief again. You yep. know? But it doesn't... It, it, no, and I was just a miserable, angry prick. Like, yeah. I hurt everybody around me. I was violent all the yeah. time. Like, it was just... Uh, it was completely unnecessary. You, you know what I mean? And So why in six months? What was what happened in six months that you said, I got go, to do something? Because, so, I was... Yeah, because I'd been married for, like, six months. Yeah. Right, at the time when I got high. And then six months later, on my wedding anniversary, now, mind you, I just told you, like, that mortgage is paid, babe. Like, everything's yeah. paid. Hey, we ain't got no, ain't no car notes. We ain't got none of that. Everything's yeah. paid for. You, you know? I couldn't keep the power on in the house. My. With both of us working full-time jobs. And I was selling drugs. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, I had a $300 a day habit in yeah. six months. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's getting paid. <laughs> like, and the electricity yeah, is off. Yeah, screw yeah. the bill. You, you know what I mean? And how'd that I affect your get, relationship was, with your wife? Oh, it was awful. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was a monster in this woman's life. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, God bless her for staying. Yeah. You, you know? Um, still today, one of the most incredible women I've ever encountered. So you, you still um, talk to her today? Every now and again. Yeah. You, you know, we didn't speak there for a few years. Yeah, I, I bet. And, I bet. I mean, that was pretty monstrous, dude. That, that was I, horrible, I, this woman. And, yeah. You, you know? Like, I'll never forget, right? Because, like, I got into selling drugs and stuff at the time, and we were sitting outside this restaurant, right, eating there for our one-year anniversary because yeah. the power's off in our house, right? And we're sitting there in my vehicle. And I, I grew up like nine miles outside of a town. of I think it's like 10,000 now. But yeah. um, it was a much smaller at, at that time. And everybody that would come around was honking when yeah. they went by, right, because they recognized the car, you, you know. She said, man, you are a popular guy. You know that? She said, if I came out here and sat in my car, nobody would honk yeah. when they went by. You got a lot of friends, and I, she didn't have an she, idea what I was really? doing. You okay. know what I mean? And like, it kind of hit me in my mind at that moment. Like, you ain't got a friend out here, but yeah, not one of these people coming by is yeah. a friend. Yeah, you, you know. And so, I come out. I get honest about it, right? Because um, I knew what I was doing was wrong. Like there was that part, that piece in me that was like, yeah, something's not okay, dude. Yeah, you know. And but I couldn't stop. You, you know, and. I, I think when I think about being enslaved to something, yeah. you, you know, like absolutely chains of bondage. Um, I remember I sat in my car one night. I was like nine, ten miles outside of town on the side of a mountain. And I had this old like 1996 O.J. Simpson Bronco. Yeah. Right. And my lighter had quit and I wasn't going to town. Right. Because it's like a schizophrenia type of paranoid. Yeah. That, that you become. And um, I, I sit there in my car for three and a half hours pushing a push lighter getting hot enough to smoke this thing, you know, like, and I could think about nothing, absolutely nothing at all. Nothing in the entire universe yeah. matters right. outside of this moment, you know, and I think back to that a lot when I think about those chains of bondage, like real domination yeah. to my mind. And, and I don't think I um, people could really understand addiction in that, that sense. Mm -mm. Like, so I think it's great that you just said that because, you know, obviously in addiction, people do some, some horrible things mm -hmm. to their family members. They steal them, they rob, but you know, one of the things we wanted to do with this podcast is just to really just, at, at the least, not to justify things people do in their addiction, right. but just to begin maybe to understand how that becomes the sole purpose. Right. Like, it doesn't even matter. Like, it's get high or die, but It's get high or die. And, um, you know, so I, I hope people just, again, not to justify what people have done, but just to maybe see that from a, that, that's where they're at. Right. And, and, and I don't know, I don't even know, like, if you, I mean, if you could still help them in that approach, but, mm. I mean, people, I mean, you're sitting here, you're clean and sober, so, so what happened? Where did, um, so, you go into detox? Yeah, I went into detox for the first time, um, I had initiated the divorce, right, and, because every, it's always everything else's fault but Derek's, right, right. like, Derek can't see past himself at all, so, um, I initiated the divorce and, um, I was homeless for a few days there before I went into detox because obviously nobody wanted anything to do with me. Yeah. Righteously so. Um. Including your family. Yeah. Yeah. Including my yeah. family. hundred percent fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like I ain't mad at nobody about it. Yeah. And, um, so, um, those were a rough few, few days before I went in. And so, um, I'd actually, the, to give you like the perspective on recovery there. And I feel like a lot of people in New England don't really 
appreciate that. Maybe it's different up north, but at least in Mass. Like, yeah. I, did, I drove six hours to detox. Like, I got driven six hours there. Right. Is, was like, that the closest detox? Yeah, and I had Blue Cross Blue Shield PPO out of network insurance. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? But the like, closest place Like 28 days stay was there yeah. at the time. You know, and I remember, like, I told my father and him, like, four days before I left, right? But there's three days between yeah. me being homeless um, that I was going to treatment. You know, like, I come out about this whole drug addiction problem. And my dad said, you think a fucking vacation is going to fix it? Yeah. Excuse my language, but that was word for word what he yeah. said. I'm like huge dude yeah. <laughs> like appreciate support you know yeah. what I mean which is I mean I've been uh, running through his life like a tornado so it's fine right. <laughs> you know like I get it but um I'd already set up my own ride like I meant it and I really thought the drugs were the problem you, you yeah. know like I was really under that firm belief that like if I can just kick the drugs I can be drink oh, I'm, I'm fine you know and so I set up my own ride and my dad calls me he's like listen if you're serious about it I'll take you yeah. yeah, you know, said, yeah, I'm serious. Like, I want to go, you know. And so we drove and we go down there, and I, I go to a facility there, and I was in there for like 21 weeks. I'd done so well that my insurance How many, cut me how in, long were we in there? Or 21 days. Oh, 21 me. days. I was going to say yep. 21 weeks. We got to get to that place, you know. Right. But, um, three weeks. Yeah. Supposed to be there for 28 days. I did so well that my insurance cut me early, right? Because it's yeah. like, all right, this kid's been drinking and getting high for nine years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, let's cut him out He's early. Good. Let's do that. Yeah. Three weeks. See you later, kid. You know, um, I was actually on like a, a maintenance medication when I left. What'd they put you on? I was on Buracryptine. Okay. Um, it, so it's an um, experimental medication for Parkinson's, but yeah. they've determined that it also helps cocaine and methamphetamine cravings. Okay. And it works incredibly. Oh, yeah? Incredibly. Loved it. Mm. Didn't think about it one time while taking it. It was beautiful. It right? took the craving off? Huh? Takes off, takes the killed cream. it completely. Yeah, I had no desire because I really didn't have a desire to use drugs anymore. Yeah, right. Like that was very real. The <laughs> desire to drink, however, was very much different. Right. Like yep. I still saw it in effect from somewhere. Yeah. And but what happened was when I got out, no doctor in my area would prescribe it because it was too experimental. Right. Right. So now, like, I put my sobriety in human power, and it failed me. You, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So I was out for like six weeks. Um, I get high, overdose, um, and I end up in the hospital. And on my mother's birthday, yeah. three days before supposed to be moving to North Carolina, right? Because um, someone like me, I usually get high and drink at the worst time possible. Yeah. The worst time yeah. I could do it. Well, gonna... I think the last thing you're thinking about is a birthday, correct? Right. But yeah. it's like, why not like a week before? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? It's like the day of, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know? Like, I don't know what it is. It's been like that my whole life. Like, everything important, I always drink and get high right before it happens yeah. and ruin it, you know? And um, So, I go... I ended up drinking, getting high, overdosing. I was in the hospital the following day. And I know if I stay there, what's going to happen? Because I know where to go. I ain't got no problem getting it. It's yeah. a breeze, right? Like, in my mind, like, I got to get out of here, right? It's this place. It's this, you know, piece of crap town that I grew up in, you know? And so then I go to treatment again in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in a little town called Marne, right on the outside of the city. Yeah. And I thought long-term treatment will be the fix, you know? Yeah. And I actually found out it was a... Uh, center that was based off the Church of Scientology, which is, they didn't tell you that till you got there. Oh, but, okay. You know, so that yeah. was interesting. Um, but still, like, I still had the desire to drink. I've yet yeah. to lose the desire to drink at this point, right? Like, mm -hmm. but I don't want the consequences of drugs, right? Right. So it's like, well, I'll figure it out here, right? So the whole time I'm in there, like, I cannot wait. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. Let me out of here. 
like I'm killing for a drink, right? That irritability, that restlessness, that discontent, yeah. like it's just getting worse, right? Like 90 days out, dude, I am absolutely miserable. And it's either like I'm drinking or I'm killing myself or somebody. Like yeah. I can't take this anymore, right? And so the day I get out, the day I move out, right? Oh man, just one beer with pizza, it's all I want, right? Yeah. Like one beer turned to two and two turned into a fifth of liquor and I blacked out. Right. And that was right after you got out. Right after. Same yeah. day. But like I, and that's what my mind tells me, right? Like I just want one. One yeah. isn't gonna hurt anything. Right. That subtle insanity that precedes it, right? Like all this stuff. I didn't just get out of treatment for drugs and booze. Yeah. This morning. <laughs> you yeah. know? And then I get out. You know what? One beer with pizza is gonna be fine. Bang. Yeah. Blackout. Done. See you later. I wake up the next day like what in the world yeah. just happened? Like how am I here, dude? Baffled. No yeah. idea what went down, you know? So, like, immediately, like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. This is not how I want to live, you know? But still think, like, I can yeah. control the one, right? And, you know, a little bit of experimentation goes on. Doesn't end well, obviously. Right. And, like, things where I was living at got pretty bad. So, I end up going back home. I go back to Virginia. And I start seeing the girl that, like, my, like, high school love, yeah. you know? And um, things don't pan out there because I'm an everyday drunk. Right. Yep. And like for me, like if I drink, if I, if I, once that phenomenon kicks in, that allergic reaction happens and I'm drinking every day, six weeks, but I'm doing drugs. Yeah. Like clockwork, bet right. on it, you know, because it just doesn't do me enough. Like right. it, I have to have more, you know. And so, of course, it gets out. I start doing drugs again. Right. Like, and the drinking, I never felt guilty with. Right. Like I could drink, I'd be a sloppy drunk every day and I didn't yeah. feel bad about it. But as soon as the drugs hit my body, instantly full of shame guilt remorse yeah. like i am such a piece of garbage dude yeah. like what am i doing right like i remember like i i didn't feel bad at all like i was totally fine with being an everyday drunk and then i went out with a buddy of mine and we get high and i'm like up in this like upstairs room for like three days and don't leave the yeah. room you know and i walk past me and i like see my face and i'm like what are you doing dude like the same thing that just ruined your entire life Right, like it's like in my mind, it's still yeah. objective, right? And so I, I get honest about it, right? I try to go back to 12-step fellowships to, to get well. And I was so in denial of the drinking that like I went to one over the other because of the title, right? Like I'm not talking about that one, right? Yep. This is the problem, Yeah, you know? And um, I, I ended up seeing another woman shortly after that. And because if I'm, if I'm sober and I don't have a solution, I'm trying to wrestle the effect out of life with yeah. jobs and girls and money and cars and anything I can try to take from out of here and put it in there, right? And so... Fill that, um, to fill that void, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That sense, that, that restlessness, boy, that irritability. So, um, so how, do you, how do you end up in Massachusetts? So over the course of like the next, I don't know, probably nine months after uh, yeah. what I was just talking about, um, you know, uh, I had two children pass away my divorce come to finalization mm -hmm. and I was homeless for up to that year. And then I caught a, I caught multiple charges along the way. Yep. Um, and I was looking at five years in federal prison come time of, of coming up here. Yeah. You know? And I happened to be on probation and I listened to my probation officer. <laughs> I'm sorry if you see this and <laughs> yeah. uh, she says, you know, I just sent one of my other probationees to a treatment in Culpeper. I'm like, Oh, I can go back to treatment. Because yeah. originally, like, the whole reason I caught the gun charge was that, like, I was so tired that I, I didn't realize I could go back to treatment anymore. You know, like, I call, yeah. I pulled into a 7-Eleven and I like, told 
the woman behind the counter. If you don't get a cop in this parking lot right now, something colossal is going to happen out here. Yeah. You know? And, like, he came and arrested me, right? And, like, I told him, like, yeah, I'm all out of drugs. But there's a gun right here. I've been drinking and getting high all day. Like, yeah. the girl that was with me, she's like, what are you doing, dude? You know? Like, I'd been praying to go to prison for three weeks before that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because the stuff that I was involved in and the things that were, like, were going on in my life at the time. like You are basically saving your life is what you I was tapped, doing. dude. Yeah. You know? Like, all my friends were getting arrested, right, because of the things that we were involved in. Yeah. The girl I was with, like, it was an extremely abusive relationship physically, emotionally, mentally, on yeah. both sides right like it was vicious my life sucked dude a hundred percent like and i said like at that time like i would rather be in a box mm. than do this anymore i don't care I, so, i'm tapped so where did your probation officer say she did i told her i had a drinking problem yeah. right because like i don't want to tell the cop i got a drug issue <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right? not in virginia it's an 87 percent conviction rate down there yeah. but you, you know so um i told her like I, I have a drinking problem i'd like to go back to treatment you know and so I got sober September 16th, 2016, right? And September 15th, all the way down, was like the, the last day that I drank and got high before going in. And they set my sentencing date for this gun charge. Yeah. While, like, I had, like, A and Bs and I had a whole bunch of yeah. other stuff, you know, pending while on top of it. But September 23rd, which is my birthday, a week after that, right? Yeah. Like, I'm going to prison on my birthday, dude. <laughs> I mean, like, you're killing it, Derek. Yeah. You know? And so, obviously, like, that got pushed back because I was in treatment. And I woke up on that birthday and that was the second birthday that i'd spent in institutions mm -hmm. right uh, over the course of, like the last two years take that back might have been the third okay. i don't know it's a lot of it's a blur but um e either way i had not been home for holidays and birthdays and stuff for yeah. uh, numerous years now you know and so i'm laying here in this detox bed and i'm like bud what you're doing ain't working dude it's just it's not happening yeah you know like you're 22 dude you're divorced like you've had these very serious losses you're going to prison, dude. Like, yeah. you ain't going to live to 30, but it's just, it's not going to happen. You, you know, uh, whatever's wrong with you, you better figure it out, you, you know. And so I did everything that was told to me. I Like, I did not care. I, I'll do whatever, yeah. you, you know. And it really wasn't that I had the desire to stop using, but I did not want to live like that anymore. And yeah. I was willing to make whatever exchange that it took, you know. I'd have sold my soul if that's what I needed to. Needed <laughs> you, to you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I was that desperate. I do not care anymore, you know. And... And for me, like, in my experience, that's really important, right? Like, yeah. when a drug addict or an alcoholic is, like, in that window of desperation, like, we got to do something now, yeah. right? Because, like, in that moment, they're, they'll do it. They don't care. Like, they'll go the full length, you know? And because, like, four weeks out, I forget about that pain, that misery, that humiliation. Yeah. All that stuff fades away, dude, right. and the insanity returns. And I think that happens know? more often than none for people. A hundred percent. Which is why yeah. the relapse is so... One hundred percent. Happens all the time, but... So what was the... Um, was there a turning point for you? Um, well, when when I was in there, they suggested that I go to treatment in yeah. Quincy, right? They said, you know, here's a guy that places people in long-term treatment. Maybe you should go to long-term treatment because you've been in treatment numerous times in the last yeah. year and a half, you know, and because um, it was like, da, 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 right? Like yeah. either homeless or in treatment, one or yeah. the other, you know, and um, so I got in touch with a guy who, that's who, what his job was to place people in treatment, you know, um, big book thumper yep. in, in that right, and um 
he gave me two options. He said, you can go to Florida, you can go to Boston. And I'm like, uh, I really don't like people from Florida, so I'm going to go to Boston. You know? no, no. This is unbelievable. <laughs> Boston went out over And I'd already been Florida. in Michigan for the winter. You <laughs> so, know what I mean? So like, I knew is, what was coming. So was we like, know there's some divine intervention going on already. <laughs> so go ahead and continue. <laughs> when I get to Boston, right, and like, like I said, like I grew up nine miles outside of this very small town. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I can hear a freight train nine miles out from yeah. where I grew up at. Like quiet, like nobody did. Yeah. And then, like, me to get on an airplane, I landed in Logan. I was like, whoa, yeah. dude. You know, and it's like South Boston Savage. Like, yeah. picks me up from the airport, you know, to take me down. And God bless his soul. He's passed on since. But, um, you know, he said, the ladies are going to love you, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have a good time here. You know, <laughs> and good time. so we go to, he takes me to the treatment. And I actually, I went to Northeast. That's where I got sober at. I was one of the first clients. Oh, okay. I was part of like the first wave to come yeah. through there, you know, and at the time, and they still are, but um, they were a 12-step immersion program, yeah. right? So they required you to go through the steps in a very rapid fashion, yeah. right? And they used to take us these big book step studies over this yeah. coffee break in Quincy where like by the bar, right? On, yeah. uh, uh, what is it? Parking Way, I think is the name of it. Coffee break is the uh, place that you guys went to. Well, it's. Like, they, they owned the floor above it. Yeah. And that was where the big book steps that they got held at five oh, okay. days a week, right? Yeah. And like, I got to hearing this information, right? And, like, I still had a really hard time with it. And I was, like, obviously, like, gaining length and sobriety, right? And, like, that 90-day mark, mark yeah. comes up, and I lose it, dude, right? And so, like, I picked a sponsor that I had seen somewhere else, and he was a celebrity, and I wanted his lifestyle. I didn't care about a spiritual condition. I yeah. didn't care about treatment, like, m cars, money, all the stuff I think I yeah. can fix my problems with, right? And, um... I got so miserable that I couldn't take it anymore. And I heard a guy talk about step one and like what it meant to be alcoholic and those things. And like, I was, I was still like having a hard time swallowing it, you know, like it's clear it relates, yeah. but it's like, uh, is it me? You know? And I was walking down Hancock street past Kelly cellar yep. there in town and, um, the smell of the booze and the food hits me and I'm like, oh man, just one beer sounds good. Yeah. You know? And then this thought crashed my mind. Anybody in your shoes, who was normal wouldn't have a problem not drinking. Yeah. Right. And it's like, I can't, I can't even argue that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like somebody normal who just experienced everything I've experienced wouldn't probably not mind not drinking. Right. Yeah. So like instantly I went to a guy that was running the study, you know, I said, dude, will you help me? Cause I am hurting, but I'm yeah. not going to make it much longer. You know, I need relief. I'm going to lose my mind, you know? And so I start going through the steps. Right. Uh, I understand. I get educated on what alcoholism is. Yeah. I concede to that idea. I know that it's me to the T, right? And that I, without a spiritual solution, I am smoked. Yeah. Right. And so, for the first time, like that granddaddy of mine, who was a, a moonshiner, become a Pentecostal preacher in my yeah. lifetime. Right. So it was like a very like wild change. You yeah, know? it is. But, um, like wonderful role model for it. Like absolutely yeah. to the T, most loving, accepting, like to the book, like, would not marry me because of, like, his beliefs with wedding rings. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, but never, like, disrespected me or anything I did. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, like, so the idea of God was really hard for me to concede to, right? Like, I tried to get sober through the church for a long time. Yeah. And those, like, my first interaction with recovery was a 12-step fellowship based yeah. out of a church. You know, and, like, they do wonderful things, still do to this day. Awesome, proud of them. It, yeah. it did not work for me because the idea I could not honestly concede to. You, you know, um, and that's what I loved about the fellowship that I got sober in, that they give me the opportunity to concede what I needed to concede to make the connection. So like, it, was, it was basically what really worked for you is allowing you at your choosing right. to concede. Right. But that concede, conceding is 
to admit something to myself that I would not yeah. have admitted before, right? So, uh, excuse me, to conceive an idea yeah. Yeah. That, that, that I could do, you know? Like, I just, there were too many questions. I couldn't honestly make that connection because of that, right? My indifference is my opinion. Like, I just, I couldn't make the relationship, honestly, right? Because yeah. I needed to understand that it wasn't about needed. I didn't need to trust the idea of God, yeah. right? What I needed to do is get connected because I don't have the power to keep the drink out of my hand. That's been very clear up thus far, right? Like, yeah, my, so, that was my experience. So, so, uh, so you make a connection. You make yeah. a spiritual connection. Through honesty and desperation, yeah. honestly seeking, right? Yeah. Like my experience with God is anybody who seeks God will receive God. I'm right? curious to, um, I'm curious that we're going to have to wrap this up. So. Okay. Um, but I, I am curious, so um, did you, do you think looking back, Making that connection with God, did you make it a little bit more harder for yourself than it, than it actually was? Well, I learned along the way that, like, I thought that I was the rejecter <laughs> and the rejectee. Yeah. Right? I rejected God because I thought God rejected me because yeah. of the hellfire and brimstone type of religion that I grew up around. Right. Ain't nothing against it. That was just, like, the conception that, that got set in me. Yeah. Right? So... I, I, like, to, to wrap us up, right, like, and I know I talked a lot more about the, the old than the new, but... When I took the third step, right? So, like, would the third step, like, we offer ourselves to God, yeah, right, yeah. as we understand Him, right? So, in the last line of that prayer, right, like, I ask God to take me as I am, right, break the chains of selfishness, which yeah. I've learned is my problem as an alcoholic, right? I'm selfish, right. dishonest, self-seeking, and fear-driven, right? And everything I ever do, right? right? And that's why everything always falls apart, and I always end up screwing myself, right? That's why I have to be of service to other people, because right. it's one of the things that keeps me sober with God, right? right. But, so, the end of that third step... It says, take away my difficulties and let victory over them come to bear witness to those that I may help of thy power, of thy love, and thy way of life, right? So now, as like you had already heard, like there was no defense in that gun case that I had, right? Yeah. Like I was smoked. And it's a two-year ma mandatory charge, yeah. right? Yep. The DA was shooting for four. It was a walk in the park, like no reason. You were going. I was gone, baby. It wasn't <laughs> yeah. an if, you, you know yeah. what I mean? Like my lawyer told me, like, you know, I'm not going to use the same language he did, but kid, you're screwed. Yeah. Dude, like, I can't help you. You know what I mean? I took that third step prayer out for myself to God and said, God, take away my difficulties and let the victory of that solve, let the victory of those problems be a witness for other people. Yeah. I got a call two weeks after that and said, buddy, I don't know what's going on around here, but they offered you a deal with two years of probation with no time served. You better get back to Virginia and sign these papers yeah. in a hurry. You know? That's deep. And it's like, when that happened, bud, like, it instantly, like, got you, it. You, I mean, you immediately knew. Yep. That that was... Because I saw an impossible situation become yeah, possible yeah. through honestly seeking God yeah. and really getting down to the dirt. You, and, you, know? you know, and, and, and I've, I, honestly, I'm telling you, I've heard stories like that for people where, like you mm. just said, it was impossible but became possible. And, and it doesn't happen for everybody, but right. I think at that moment, too, it didn't matter. Like, you, once you make that connection, you're like, all right, I know you got me and I will be okay yeah. no matter what. But I think that's awesome that... Um, that uh, that happened, and obviously for a reason, yeah. uh, because you know um, there's a purpose for you, right. um, and and like you said, service to other people. I truly believe that, um, and I believe in the spiritual connection. I for myself personally, but also sitting here doing this program mm. and listening to other people talk. It's it's a it is a, somewhat of a de defining factor in people's recovery. <clears throat> it's not for everybody, but again, it's a journey, and you you get to That's where it. you got to go, but. Um, before we do wrap this up, talk about, um, your, the mental health side of it, because mm. a lot of okay. people, um, 
you know, the spirituality side obviously is very important, and it does help in the mental health side of it, but you, mm. you did say in the beginning that you were now doing some therapy and stuff like that. Yeah, so <coughs> obviously, like, I finished, <coughs> I, I, I finished working, the, I finished the step process, yeah. right? Like, now I practice 10, 11, 12 on a daily, right? And I work that program to the best of my ability. That treats my alcoholism, yeah. right? And I have a lot of beautiful things as a result of doing that, right? right. Like, because my experience, untreated sobriety and treated sobriety, not the same thing, yeah. right? Like, if I'm white-knuckling sobriety, I'm not gonna last, dude. Right. I'd rather drink, to be it's honest with you, dude. Like, it, yeah. it throw, screw that, right? Yeah. So the twelve steps treats my alcoholism, right? Now, I think that at the time, like alcoholism is like the root of all my problems, yeah. right? I get out past a year sober, right? I've solved a lot of the life issues, right? That's like going on, yeah. right? Like I'm, I'm getting out of the sober living, and like I'm becoming an actual adult, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> for Again, for the ever. first time in like three years, <laughs> yeah. right? And so, like, I drop into a massive low, mm-hmm. massive, right? Like probably two and a half months. Yeah. Like wanting to die daily. And wow. like I end up like on my knees, like, God, what is the problem, dude? Yeah. You know, like everything is great, you know? And like I'm doing everything the step says to do, right? Yeah. Meanwhile, I don't realize that like the steps are treating my alcoholism and I have a totally separate problem, right? Yeah. So then over the course, like the next two years, right? Like I start swinging. And I don't pay no mind to it, right? Like, they seemed kind of rare at the time, yeah. right? Like, they weren't as rapid like they are now if I'm yeah. unmedicated. But, so, like, they start coming, right? And I think that it's just the way that I think, right? Yeah. Like, maybe this is something that other people experience as well. Like, it's, but it's not that big a deal, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm still, like, undermining it as I've always done, yeah. right? And I get out to, like, two years of sobriety, Right. And my swings are pretty frequent. Yeah. Right? Like, the girl that I was dating for a long time, she's like a master levels therapist. Right? And she's like, Derek, you might have a condition. (laughs) You know? Like, and I'm not really trying to hear it, right? Because, like, I'm arrogant and egotistical and self-centered. Yeah. um, So, I'm still not, like, and she sees it, right? She sees me suffering, right? Because, like, not only am I getting worse in the swings, but they're coming quicker. Yeah. Right? Like, and still, like, I don't know how to talk about it. Right? Like, how am I supposed to say, like, this is... This isn't normal, is it? Yeah. Right. Well, you don't like, even know, right? Right. Like, so, I'm still at like this point that like this is just the way that I think. Yeah. Right. Like this is how other human beings think, and I thought like I might have had a small problem, but I didn't realize the severity of what yeah. it was. Right. And so, over the course, and like, I, I went like super quick, man. Like I'll tell you, like my mania, man. Like I went from like renting a room in a house to like no vehicle. And having to go home for a week to wrap up court ties. So I got to pay for gas and room to stay. Yeah. And like all that stuff. You know, thousands of dollars. You know what I mean? I had nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Six weeks later, I'd like, I bought a new vehicle. Me and her put it down on, a, on an apartment at the beach. And I'm going home. You yeah. know what I mean? Like crazy productive. Yeah. Right? And everybody's like, you're a maniac, dude. Like, how do you get this done? It's like, because I'm an actual maniac. Yeah. Right? And so those things like really helped me not want to get medicated and treated yeah. right because like i'm accomplishing a whole lot of stuff right and then like the lows get worse and yeah. then the mania gets worse like you know and i'm having like a hard time not really being faithful but like staying in one place and then yeah. when i get single like that hypersexuality and that risky behavior comes in and like yep. like starts to get unmanageable you know and i'm like yeah. oh what am i yeah. doing dude because that's the thing like the steps give you that sense of awareness you know yep. like so i was aware of myself and like the things i'm experiencing but i don't i can't stop them you, you know yeah. Yeah, yeah, so uh, when me and like me and her end up breaking up. We split off because like yeah. my mania, right? Like, and over the course of the last nine months, I just celebrated three years in September, right? And 
over the course of like the last nine months, it was just absolutely out of control. Like yeah. I'm swinging every day. It's just all over the place and it's vicious. So when I ended up two weeks before I picked up my three-year medallion, right, I ended up on my couch with a pint of liquor in my hand, right? And because I, for four days, I was just constantly drink, 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 yeah. drink, drink. I got it just dominated by fear, right? Because it's like, this is what the steps are supposed to fix. I have never stopped working the steps. I've never stopped being a servant. It's like I've spoken all over the place. Like I'm very active in so the fellowship. So you're doing, you're doing very, everything right. you're supposed to be doing, and but now, now it's here back. you are. You know, and, and it's I'm hopeless head. again, yeah. right? Because it's like, this is the only thing that ever worked. <clears throat> and now it's not working anymore, you yeah. know? I end up calling my sponsor, right? And like, he picks me up. And it says, you know, where's the bottle at, bud? You know, and we go out and we yeah. go grab a bite to eat. And um, he said, what do you think? He said, to be honest, I don't think you want to drink because you'd just be drunk. You wouldn't be talking yeah. to me about it, right? And I was like, yeah, dude, but like, I don't know what else to do. Like, I can't get the thought out of my mind. And um, he said, well, what do you think stopped you? It, you know, and I said, my sponsees. And he says, well, what do you mean your sponsees? I said, I would hate to drink and then they think AA doesn't work. Yeah. And he said that you don't make any sense at all. Yeah. I was like, what do you mean, dude? He said, I've never met somebody in a fellowship that wanted to drink and then still wanted people to think it worked. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He said, you're tapped, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> tapped. He said, I think that you have another problem that yeah. has brought you to the only point your mind goes for relief when nothing else works. Mm -hmm. You know? So that's actually pretty fair, right? Yeah. So then we go out to a meeting, and then there's a couple of, I end up seeing a sponsee of mine there, and then, like, two people come up that I've, like, don't even remember looking at, like, dude, like, I seen you, like, two years ago, and I just yeah. wanted to thank you, like, if I wouldn't have heard you speak that night, like, I wouldn't be sober today. So I'm instantly like, all right, dude, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I see you. He's, he's, <laughs> like, throwing, he's throwing you a little right. something. Like, clearly I'm not meant yeah. to drink, right? Yeah. But it's like, why won't the thought leave? You know, like, why am I dominated by the obsession, you know? And come the following morning, I wake up, first thing I think of, drink. I'm like, yeah. all right, dude, that's it, I'm done. I'm out, like, I, I can't take this anymore, you know? And so I go and I get a, a pint and I go back to the house. I must have smelled it like 10 times. And I went to drink it and there was just not enough power in my wrist to curl yeah. the bottle, right? Like I, like, I literally just could not drink it, you know? And I threw the cap on, I got super enraged, threw it in the trash and like, what is the deal, dude? Yeah. You know, like I clearly cannot drink, right? Like doing the deal. And I go to see a psych and within the same week, I go see a therapist, I immediately start medication, and we start talking about these issues, and I have had dramatic results okay. in a very short period of time, you, you know, and that's where I've really kind of advocated. I was really under the thing of, like, you can't take medication while it's yeah, right, yeah. you know, like how that whole thing gets kicked up. Right. It's like the reality was is that the 12 steps fixes my alcoholism, and it puts me in a position to be available for everything else, but that does not mean that they will fix everything else, right? right? Like there's different there's treatments for different problems. There's issues that right. can be addressed. And, and if you're suffering in sobriety while yeah. working a program, you have got to seek help for that. Because it will not get better just because of whatever program yeah. you work for recovery. And you know? so, um, and just so that's so that's experience. really t taking you to another level. Now I'm in so, another place, man. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. So let's do this, because um, I, I suspect we could go on. Probably. I mean, obviously, and and it's it's all good stuff, um, and especially uh, the dual diagnosis, the co-occurring, the mental health side of it, because I think that's just so much more um, out there than we think, and. Um, so maybe we'll have to have you come back and talk about the mental health side of it. I would but love to. What, what can you tell people um, that might be struggling with the same thoughts um, that you had? You know, like literally the fact that you were just holding that liquor and you were struggling. It's it just like you were literally on the edge 
Um, and like you said, I didn't have the power just to drink. And, and I, I know people have been there before. Mm. Um, is there anything that, like, just give us something that um, gives some, maybe the, uh, the people listening some type of hope in, in that moment? Like, you obviously went and saw therapy. I know you would recommend that for somebody else. Um, 100%, you know? And us, us out with uh, some words of hope, Derek. My you yourself are hope, but... The biggest thing that I've learned, right, being mentally ill with alcoholism and drug addiction, right, is the appreciation for duality, yeah. right? That up comes a down. You have to accept that, right? You have to be okay with that. Yeah. That is reality. It's not personal. It's not personal to your life, the, the world falling apart. It is necessary. It has to come with that. You would never know what is good without it, right? Yeah. Like you only know what a peak looks like when you've looked up at it from a valley. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like when you're in those places and those things are switching and life is like constantly changing and you're in sobriety and you're working a program and you're miserable, you need to seek help for that because yeah. you may well have another problem that's completely unrelated right. to your issue. You, you know what I mean? And it'll be the best decision in your life, you know, okay. because your program and the way you go about it is your business. Yeah. You, you know, like that's my experience. So tell us real quick, um, self-care. What do you do mm. to self-care? Because you do service other people, and what we found is that sometimes we tend to service other people yes. and we forget about ourselves, and that's when, like you said, life creeps in mm. and tends to get you to a place that you don't want to be. So what do you do, uh, whether it be daily, weekly, that mm. you're able to keep maintain that self-care and keep you in a good place? My morning, my morning routine is crucial for okay. me, right? Um, when I wake up, it's prayer, meditation, and then for the day. Right? Okay. Like, I don't like to start my day without it because then like by nine o'clock I'm screwed yeah, up yeah, top, yeah. you know? Um, I'm actually a, a professional registered pro player for Tom Clancy for online gaming. Oh right? yeah? Yeah, so it's one of my favorite things to do, right? Yeah. So um, a piece of my self-care, things that I do for myself, I turn my phone on do not disturb mm -hmm. one day of the week. Just like, I don't care, I'm not answering, I don't yeah. care what you want, dude, you know? And this is all I'm doing all day. Leave me alone. <laughs> and that puts you in a good place. Yeah. yeah you know? <laughs> That's and awesome. Because uh, I, I like to work a lot. I like to be on the go and moving yeah. and busy, you know. But when I shut off, like, I'm off. That's good. Done. Leave me alone. Awesome. I, don't, I, don't, I love you, Mom, but I don't care, even care. I'll talk to you is. when I'm done. Yeah. So. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, Derek, this was fantastic. Um, I really appreciate you uh, coming on here and telling your story. It's very powerful. I think there's a lot of people that I can't identify with it and I hope they identify with it and they get something mm. good that comes from it. I know they will. Thank you um, as you me. guys know, um, I am also part of the um, Hobart Cares Coalition, though I haven't been as active as I would have liked to have been and I'm sure they feel the same way. Um, but um, the Hobart Cares Coalition meets on the first Tuesday of every month at the town hall. Um, at 7 o'clock, you can go to their Facebook page and check them out. They're just another source of resources for you, uh, whether you're struggling with addiction or you have a family member that's struggling. Um, they are a resource. And so what I, I'm going to tell you is starting next week, um, Hobart Cares has put together um, the um, it's a Youth uh, Prevention Week. It's called Breaking the Roadblock, uh, Road Blocks, and it's to empower youth to break barriers um, it will go from October 7th to the 11th, all throughout the town of Holbrook. Um, there'll be um, things going on, tables set up, all kinds of events through the entire week. 
um, um, that you guys can check out. So you want to go to the Hobart Cares page, Facebook page, and check out and see what those events are. And come out and join us. Come out and say hello. Come out and talk to us. Um, it's five days of fun and educational activities for the Holbrook youth population. That includes the family and the community. Um, and so they just ask for participation, attendance, and support from the Holbrook town officials, town departments, school officials, faculty members, uh, local businesses, uh, for-profit and non-profit organizations, families, individuals, and collaborating resources. Um, so there will be five days of opportunities that you can show your support by attending and participating. Um, but if you're looking for more details, um, text, email, or message the Hobart Cares Facebook page, um, call 774-274-2260. Um, just send a message. It's probably much easier. Um, but check out and see what they got going. Guys, uh, this is episode 44. Um, we're looking to continue this um, to bring you education and awareness for myself and anybody that's watching. We're on iTunes and Podbean, so check out our past uh, podcast. And thank you so much for joining. Derek, you take care of yourself. You We're going to have you back, brother. Um, bye, guys. Have a good night.